morning. I'm glad you braved the snow to be here because this is my last uh, sermon as a member of the St. Paul's clergy team. I will be here next Sunday, but, but not preaching. I'm so, I'm so glad you are here. And as with so many things that come to an end, this, this is coming in the middle of things, very much so. It's, it's the middle of the season of Lent, and uh, we're, we're in the middle of the story of Jesus. And, um, and what a story we, we have today from the pages of the Gospels. Today's passage has been called the masterpiece of Johannine dramatic narrative, so carefully crafted that not a single word is wasted. It is the story, of course, of a man born blind who receives his sight from Jesus, and it is about the conflict that follows. The Pharisees, a religious group with whom Jesus uh, was frequently in conflict, uh, investigate the healing, scrutinize the man, and, and some of them are seeking to discredit Jesus. The passage ends with, with some challenging and profound words from Jesus about spiritual blindness. Now, I could talk to you about so many things in this passage. I could talk to you about the questions that it raises, about why we suffer and where it comes from. I could talk to you about the rich, intricate interplay of water and light imagery in this passage, these very powerful symbols of spiritual depth and awakening. I could talk to you about the spiritual danger of being a know-it-all. But what I'm going to try to talk to you about today is the theme of spiritual sight and spiritual blindness, of the opening of the eyes of the heart. My very first sermon here at St. Paul's nearly two years ago was for Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. And the gospel for that day was also from John, as with today. Now, that story was from Jesus' last conversation with his disciples during the Last Supper. And in this sermon, I, I talked about Jesus' words about himself as the true vine. I am the vine and you are the branches, he says. Abide in me as I abide in you. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. And I talked about how abiding here means staying closely connected to the vine, growing strong bearing fruit. I talked about how what Jesus is describing is nothing short of a mystical union, where Christ's life becomes our life, what has been called mutual indwelling. We heard it uh, described in this morning, morning's collect, this language of Christ in us and ourselves in him. I said that abiding in Christ bears fruit in actions of love, generosity, hospitality, and inclusion, and that this is, this is what we are about at St. Paul's, and this is what we are about as the Church. And I encouraged you to stay close to the Source, living in Christ as He lives in us. It is sometimes said that every preacher really only has one sermon. And uh, I, think, I think that's mine. And it's been my delight to hear from many of you over the past couple of years about 
uh, these sorts of messages being helpful, encouraging, maybe even inspiring from time to time. But I also imagine that for some of us, some of the time, it can be hard to connect our daily experience to what can sound like lofty descriptions of, of religious experience. It might be hard at times to really see what I've been trying to talk about. So often I've, I've asked you to look at your lives and, and look at our world with spiritual eyes. But what if it feels like these interior eyes are closed? It can seem that we can no more cause our spiritual eyes to open than we can decide to grow our hair or beat our heart. These things seem to happen spontaneously of their own accord. And so I want to tell you that I understand, that I've been there, perhaps more than you think. Today's story of Jesus giving sight to a man who was born blind is, is about more than just one person who encountered Jesus 2,000 years ago. The man born blind is a sort of archetype, sort of symbol for all of us at the beginning of life's journey. And so I want to tell you about a time in, in my life when the eyes of my heart were opened after having been shut for for a while. When I was in my early 20s, I was having a crisis of faith. I felt like not only was I struggling with my faith, I felt like I was losing it, like it was slipping away. During this time, I picked up a book I had had for a few years, but had never read, The Seven-Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. And I became swept up in the story of religious conversion and awakening uh, that unfold in the pages of that book. It opened up a place in me that felt like it had been sealed off, a place that I had grown numb to and forgetful of. This reawakening felt like it was shifting the center of gravity of my faith from my head to my heart. And this movement culminated in a spontaneous decision, if it can be called a decision, to go into St. Ignatius Loyola Catholic Church in the Upper East Side of Manhattan when I was in that neighborhood for a medical appointment in the middle of a workday. I was living in New York at the time. Now, I never heard of this church. Uh, much less been inside, though I later learned that my grandfather went to school there when he was a boy. Um, but anyway, I felt quietly compelled to enter this place of worship, this sacred place. So I went in, and I sat down, and I, I started to pray. Gradually, and then suddenly, like an exponential curve, uh, God became powerfully present to me both incredibly intimate and close, and yet transcendent and totally beyond me. Gentle and yet overwhelming, beyond thought and yet undeniably real. The clearest and strongest object of my awareness in this experience was, was no object at all. It was not even registering with my senses. 
It's totally beyond that. Now, on that day and in that moment, it felt like my journey had reached its conclusion, like the search was over. Uh, in some ways, I felt like I had come home. I felt like I could say, as the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung did, that I know God is real and no longer need to believe. I felt that no matter how unreasonable faith had seemed to me in the months that led up to this experience, what would be far more unreasonable, far more irrational, would be to dismiss this experience, to turn away from it, to deny it, to forget about it. I felt this way because it seemed that I could feel with total clarity and even a certain sort of certainty that any true and enduring peace stability, strength, and joy was found here in this wellspring of, of presence and love that had opened to me. It was a knowing that, that goes beyond words. And so I very much resonate with the story of the man who was born blind and received his sight. When the Pharisees questioned him about his restored vision, they said, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the man answers them, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't claim to. What he had was an experience that he could not deny. He was blind, but now, he could see. Now, I offer this story from, from my life because I want you to know me a little bit better before I go, but also I offer it in hope that it might encourage you if your faith feels dormant from time to time. Because it can be really hard to know what to believe sometimes. It can be hard to know what to put your faith in, your trust in, your, your hope in, can be hard to see. What I've tried to talk to you about in my time here at St. Paul's is ultimately transformation in Christ. I don't know many things for certain, really hardly anything, but one thing I do know, as much as I can know anything, that is that spiritual reality is not just a matter of sentimentality or wishful thinking. It is very real. And it is available, it is close at hand to each of us. And we can move toward it through prayer and through acts of love, through following little nudges like I did on that day in New York to go into that church. But it all starts with faith. Faith even as small as a mustard seed, as Jesus might say. Faith is the willingness to take a step, whether it's the first step or a next step or the first step in a while, even when you don't see the path in front of you. There's a, a fifth Indiana Jones movie coming out in June, actually on June 30th, which is my wedding day. 
I don't know how I'll be able to see both or do both in one day, but, but I really want to. We'll see. Um, I love these movies, and my favorite is probably the third, The Last Crusade. Near the end of this movie, our hero is in pursuit of the Holy Grail, the, the mythical cup that is thought to have been used by Christ during the Last Supper, and which is thought to give eternal life to the one who drinks from it. The Grail is hidden in this movie, and in what might be best described as sort of a vast interior castle in the middle of the desert, protected by a series of three trials, very deadly trials, that only those of great heart, mind, and spirit can pass through. Now, in the third and final of these trials, Dr. Jones is faced with a seemingly impossible task, to walk on air across a wide chasm between two cliffs, below which seems to be a bottomless abyss. Now, at first, he reacts to this predicament with perplexity and with fear. He has seen a medieval illustration of, of knights walking across air in this way in search of the grail, but, but to actually do this seems inconceivable. However, moved by the urgency of the situation, by his love for his father, and in faith that there must be some way forward, even though he can't see it, he takes a step into the darkness into the unknown, into the abyss. And he finds himself when he takes that step on solid ground. Because there is a concealed bridge between the two cliffs that is hidden from sight by a very clever optical illusion. The path was there all along, but it took faith to find it. It took faith to eventually see it. Now, I want to close with a prayer that has been very meaningful for me and for many people. Jesse closed a sermon with it not too long ago, but I hope you will allow me to repeat it. It's a prayer of Thomas Merton. It's become known as the Merton Prayer, though he wrote many, many others. And it speaks to these matters of seeing and of not seeing, and of stepping out in faith regardless. It also resonates very powerfully with Psalm 23, which we've been hearing throughout this morning's liturgy with our hymns and, of course, the psalm itself. And what I would like us to do is to say it together. So I'm going to say one phrase at a time. And if you would repeat after me, um, let us pray together. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing.
I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.